Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today, and this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have our academic dean, Reverend Jennifer Mast. Each time Sister Mast preaches, she brings a deep understanding of the Word of God with prayerful reflection on its application. I know you're going to enjoy this message today, but before that, I want to let you know If your church would like a preaching or worship group from IBC to come on a MSA, that's a Ministerial Student Association trip for a Sunday service, maybe a morning service, or even a Sunday school service, we have that available. The MSA department is booking trips now. For more information, visit go2ibc.com forward slash MSA. Right now... Reverend Jennifer Mast, the God of the Unexpected. Um, I'm beyond blessed to have, um, as a few of our other staff members have grown up around Calvary Tabernacle. I was a graduate of CCS and CCHS before I was a graduate of IBC, and I've been blessed um, now by three pastors. (laughs) dating myself a little bit there. I was a small child when Brother Mooney came. Um, But I can't say enough about what Calvary has given to me, what IBC has given to me, and and I I count it a blessing to be able to to give just a small piece of that back. I believe in you, and that's why I think this is one of the most uh, incredible places to have the opportunity to preach, because you have no clue the people that are sitting beside you. You need to take advantage of every opportunity you have while you're here at IBC. I, I, I want to say this, and then we'll get started. The truth of the matter is, if I were to look at those that were mentors in my life, that are mentors in my life, those that, that are amongst my closest friends, it would be past faculty, present faculty, and alumni that I went to school with. You need to form relationships while you're here because there is no telling the doors that God will open. There's no telling the times that when you form those relationships, somebody might call you up in a time of when you're in a time of need and they don't even have a clue. And there'll be that encouragement that you need in your time of need. I also, uh, I know he's not here, but I also want to thank Brother Kilman for for, uh, preaching last week on short notice for me. I was sick and unable to preach, and I appreciate his willingness to to step up to the plate and uh, preach on my behalf. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes this morning on the God of the unexpected. Can we say it together? God of the unexpected. You can be seated. You know, those that know me well, or maybe even have been around me just a, a small bit, Um, I tend to be slightly transparent with my quirkiness. Um, I'm easily amused by things that others probably aren't quite as amused with. Um, I love idioms. I love a well-turned phrase. I love informative rabbit trails that teach me something. Sometimes I'll let myself go down just a little bit of a rabbit trail just because the chase is just so much fun. I love uh, random facts. Um, Shout out to the couple of students that... Uh, are also lovers of random facts and will oftentimes exchange facts with me passing through the hallway. Um, And I love irony. And you know, scripture is replete with examples of irony. Time and again, we see that that God's ways don't, don't make sense to the logical mind. 
His rejection brought about our reconciliation. The time when he was hung between heaven and earth on the cross of Calvary and the earth began to shake and the sky was darkened was perhaps the moment when the light of the world shined at its brightest. His humiliation revealed his glory. Peter's doubt brought about the strongest amount of faith. Paul's blindness brought about his true sight. Brokenness is oftentimes the the uh, the path to healing is often found on the road to broken the road of brokenness. The Lamb of God became the conquering lion. Only through death can we attain life. God chose the foolishness of preaching in order to show forth the wisdom of God. We like all these; they're fun to preach about. It's a lot of fun to delve into these and to to, to tear them apart and to begin ta- talking about how God has used all of these kind of ironic things, things that don't logically make sense to the human mind. And oftentimes the irony of Scripture is so very beautiful. The very concept of Christ's condescension, God's condescension, the creator of the universe coming to earth as a human child to seek and to save your soul and mine. That's something that's somewhat incomprehensible. It's not logical to the human mind. It's not logical to the, to the human framework. When you find those things beautiful, but... But it's interesting, human nature oftentimes ignores those instances in Scripture where perhaps the irony is a little more difficult to swallow. Because you see, oftentimes on this journey that we call life, we find that it's not the path that we think we're going to be taking. You know, oftentimes sitting, sitting as a young person at camp when God placed a call upon your life, you, you, you knew exactly how things would unfold. You knew that that general superintendent was going to call you any minute as a 12-year-old so you could be the youngest preacher to ever preach general conference because that's just what God was going to do, right? You knew that the path was going to be laid out in just a specific way and, and it was going to be an, an easy climb and, and perhaps you thought that there would be no unexpected things that would happen along the journey and, and God forbid heartache become part of the way that God shapes his plan in your life. God forbid the calling inflict pain that shapes how you minister. You know, even, <laughs> I kind of laugh about it. You walk into Hobby Lobby, um, not that I'm a Hobby Lobby fanatic by any means. I'm not, I'm not one of those. I'm not as crafty as, as I would like to be. Um, a lot of artistic stuff stresses me out. I was the kid that had 50 starts on on the artwork that I was going to do, and none of them measured up, so they all ended up in the wastebasket. Anybody one of those? Couldn't measure up to the perfectionist vision of what I had intended, and heaven knows it looked like a Michelangelo, not like a seven-year-old scrawling in my mind. But the truth is you walk into Hobby Lobby, and you can find 50 different prints that say, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. You see it put on baby's nursery walls. You see it in the family room at different houses. But, but what's interesting about that is just as I said a moment ago, human nature oftentimes ignores the unexpected aspects of the journey. It oftentimes ignores the, the, the things that bring about the miracle and just seizes upon the miracle itself. Because if you actually look at the context of Jeremiah 29, you'll find that God is actually chastising Israel, and he's getting ready to put them in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And he says, after those 70 years are accomplished, I'm going to come back and rest assured I still have plans for you. Now, that, 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 that gives it a completely different spin, right? 
If you'd be preaching, preaching that as though it were just God wanting you to prosper, you'd be taking it completely out of context. But you see, that's human nature. We look at the miraculous and we desire the miraculous, but we oftentimes miss those pieces in scripture, those bits that don't make sense to the logical mind. Those moments when God does not move in the way that we expect him to move. Those moments that perhaps God defies logic and, and doesn't do what we expect him to do in that moment because he is a God who defies expectation. He is a God who does the unexpected. Now he has an expected in for us, but he uses unexpected means to bring about those things. And sometimes those things are hard to wrestle with. You see, there's a little story that I'd like to bring your attention to. The woman is somewhat shrouded in ambiguity. We don't even know her name. We can use the minimal facts that we had to kind of fill in some of the blanks. We know that she was well-to-do. Her and her husband lived a fairly normal life by most people's standards. Some might even argue that her life was boring, but to her, it was nearly perfect. They lived in a house on the better side of town, probably one of the nicer houses. She had quite the reputation in the community for being generous. Her door was always open to those in need, any time, day or night. Her husband was a farmer by trade. He worked the land, and she shared of the, of the plenty. You see, she would invite those to dinner who were perhaps down on their luck. The, the, the road-weary traveler would find a nice respite from the day's journey at her table. Even if she knew that perhaps the children wouldn't have food that evening and wouldn't have dinner, she never made it seem as though it were an imposition. She always made, it, made them feel like she was honored by their presence. Her, day went, her, her life went on day by day. She lived in just a small city about a mile or so off a major trade highway, a major highway that was used for commerce and travel. And her days went on day after day in a fairly predictable way. Until one day a man of God came to town. And that's when we see that her story took an unexpected turn. We find her story in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we find the story of the, the Shunammite woman. She's a resident of Shunem, of the tribe of Issachar. And we find that she recognizes that the man of God, Elisha, is, is, is coming through town. You see, there was a major trade route that ran all the way from up in Galilee all the way down to Samaria. And it, it ran, like I said, only about a mile from her house. So she was used to seeing people on the road. But perhaps she noticed something different specifically about this travel traveler. Perhaps she noticed that there was something unique about him. Perhaps she'd heard, heard the stories of Elijah's miracles and she'd heard that the mantle had fallen to Elisha. Perhaps she'd started to hear of his acclaim and she recognized him as a man of God and she invited, it in, invited him in. The Bible says she constrained him. She pressed him because she wanted to, to honor him in any way that she could. She pressed him to come in and to, to share a meal, meal she put bread before him. And in that moment, she recognized just what a holy man it was that was sitting in front of her. And so she went, went to her husband. We're familiar with the story, but we're just going to play it out. I don't have a, 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 big, uh, a big intellectual message here today, but I have what God has laid on my heart. Um, Monday night, God woke me up with a Shunammite woman, and I couldn't get her out of my head. So we're just going to walk through her story just a little bit here this morning. So, so we find that she recognizes a holy man. She goes to her husband and he, she says, I want to do this man honor. So we're just, how about if we just set up a little room? So he has somewhere to lay his head. We'll put a bed over here. I can imagine a little table here. We can put a candlestick so he can read and write by it. 
maybe a little stool for him to sit on. And any time he comes through town, the door will be open for him. Well, as it happens, Elijah makes it into town, and we find that he's laying his head down to rest, and he, he begins to think about this woman, the sacrifices she made, the willingness of her heart, the generosity of her heart, and he calls Gehazi his servant, and he says, Gehazi, is there something that we can do for this woman? Bring her in. So Gehazi brings her in, and he has Gehazi communicate to her and say, um, Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. Now, I always found this, even as a kid, I found this a little bit interesting. I think most of us, if we were honest with ourselves, if we were asked if there's something that the man of God could take before the king for us, or perhaps... Uh, your, your husband was desirous of a better position, a higher so socioeconomic status in society, perhaps a promotion in the military or promotion before the king, your mind would be running through all of the different <laughs> calculations. I can imagine if, if, if I were to ask one of you and had the ability to give it to you, is there something that I can ask the president on your behalf? If there's something, is there something that I can ask Bill Gates to do on your behalf? You'd be running through your brain. You'd already have a multi-million dollar house built. You'd have your PhD, probably five of them. You'd have a position high up in government, and you'd be checking off the list trying to figure out what was most important. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is even, even in an instance where you don't give an answer, how many have ever gotten that gift that you really wish you would have given them an idea as to what to get you? Because that was not it. <laughs> that was just not it. I'm not going to say some of the gifts because I don't want to offend anyone past, present, or future. <laughs> but we've all had those gifts that you would have rather not have gotten. And so it's kind of one of those moments, not, not as heavy as a, as a moment perhaps of a marriage, but, you know, speak now or forever, hold your peace. <laughs> um, so her, 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 her response seems to defy logic. She says, I dwell among my own people. I don't desire anything. I'm perfectly happy where I am. I'm content with what I have. I don't have a problem. I'm just happy to serve. I'm just happy to do what I feel like I've been called to do. But the prophet's not satisfied. We know the story. He calls Gehazi in and he says, is there anything that we can do for this woman? And Gehazi said, well, you know, she's barren. She doesn't have an heir. Her husband is old. And there's, 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 there's probably no hope of her ever having a child. Now, mark it down. This is not something that she has asked for. Now, we know the reproach that was associated with barrenness in, in, in that culture. We know that it was probably something that plagued her heart. We know as all of her friends got married and began to, to give birth to their own children, she probably wondered what it would feel like to hold her, her newborn son in her hands. We know that her hope was dashed probably time and again. And even if she put a thought in her heart at that moment, she was probably too afraid to let her hope arise for fear of it being dashed once again. This wasn't something she had asked for. She had found contentment even in her brokenness. She had found contentment even in her barrenness. She had found contentment even in the lack of an heir. And yet the man of God said, called her in and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. In other words, don't mess with my heart. 
Don't mess with, don't mess with my emotions because I can't take another heartbreak. I can't take another unexpected turn. I can't take another situation that is going to leave me dashed and my hopes dashed on the ground. But we know that as the time came, she conceived and gave birth to her son. I can imagine as she, she savored every moment. I can imagine the first time that she perhaps quoted the Shema to that infant son. I can imagine her pouring into him probably more than, than other younger women would have. I can imagine her teaching him and, and teaching him how to take his first steps and being so prideful and so excited that God had finally blessed her with this unexpected blessing, this thing that she had not asked for. But God knew the desire of her heart. The child grew. He went out into the field to play with daddy. We don't know what happened. Perhaps it was a hot day. Perhaps he had a heat stroke. We don't know, but he started crying that his head was hurting. The servant carried him into mama because mama always tends to the wounds, right? She always puts the band-aids on. She always helps when there's a fever. The servant carries this young child, this young lad into his mother, and she carries, picks him up and puts him on her lap. And I can imagine as she tells the servant, go get some water. And she gets, she gets maybe a cloth or, or a scrap of clothing and she puts that cloth upon that baby's head and she begins to pray to the God of eternity, the God who gave her this child and say, says, God, I told you I couldn't not to lie to me. I told the man of God not to lie to me. You have to help my son right now. I can imagine as she's perhaps laying her hand on his little chest, feeling his, his, his lungs go up and his lungs go down. And I can imagine her heartache as she feels his lungs exhale and they don't rise again. I can imagine the agony and the pain of this woman who was given the greatest blessing of her life, a blessing that she had not asked for, and it was, it was lost in just a moment of time. How dare God take her to that place of heartbreak? How dare God take her to that place of heartache? How dare God take her to that place that is so unexpected? When God has given her this promise, how dare God kill the promise in front of her? Now, again, we talk about the miraculous. We talk about the next part of the story. But let's just think about it for a minute. Folks, some of you have walked into this place and you have a call of God on your life. God has given you promises and he has given you dreams. And that during the time that you've been here, you've attended wonderful services. You've seen the move of God, but perhaps you feel wholly disconnected. Perhaps you can't feel any life in that call anymore. Perhaps you feel like the promises of God are laying dead upon the ground and you don't know what to do. You feel like throwing in the towel and walking out the door. Perhaps you're looking at God saying, I made all these sacrifices to come to IBC. I was perfectly happy to sit on a pew back home. I was perfectly happy just to serve my home congregation, but you called me to IBC. You called me out of my comfort zone. You called me and you placed these promises and these hopes and dreams and aspirations in my life. And, and now it's all it seems to come to nod. Now I've come to IBC. I've made these sacrifices and heartbreak is hitting, but hit back home. Now my promise doesn't seem so sure. That path that looked like it was an easy, expected path of ease with no clouds in the sky has now turned into a torrent of rain and I can't see my hand in front of my face. God, what am I going to do? You watch as your classmates come up to the altar and they're receiving something of God and you come up and you go through the motions and you lift your hands but you just can't find that connection you're 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 crying out to God and perhaps it doesn't even feel like he's there in that moment you feel like the calling is dead you feel like the promise is dead you feel like that unexpected call that unexpected blessing that God has given you is laying there breathless 
Jesus. She had unexpected heartbreak. But oftentimes heartbreak accompanies the promise. Oftentimes, as I said, the call can inflict some of the deepest wounds, but those are the things that God uses to shape you. Those are the things that God uses to mold you. Those moments when you don't understand, those moments when you perhaps don't feel like you can find the air to breathe are those moments where God begins to perfect you. Those moments where your, the, your heart is thundering against your ribs and you're not sure if you can make it another step because you feel like God has deserted you are those moments when God is so very present. I can tell you, I've lived through it. Everybody up here has lived through it. Some of you have already lived through it as well. The fact of the matter is, when you're walking through those times and you feel like God is not there, I promise you, you persevere and make it through on the other side. And you'll look back and you'll see his fingerprint every step of the way. You'll recognize that he never left you. He never forsook you. The problem may have came, the situation may have came, the trouble may have came, the heartbreak may have came because that's common to all humanity, but God was there. He never left you and he will never leave you. If you're feeling heartbreak right now, if you're feeling heartache, if you're feeling like the call of God is dead in your life, you got to keep on standing because God is there and he's not going to let you down. His promises are in him, yea and amen, and he doesn't speak a word without it coming to pass. So you've got to hang your hat on the promises of God, on the truth of God. God, that God does not lie. He is the father of lights and there is no shadow of turning in him. You see, she did a very unexpected thing. I can't imagine the grief that this woman was facing. I can't imagine the tears that she had shed. I can't imagine the, the heart-wrenching prayers that she had prayed before that baby breathed his last breath. But she did something that was so unusual. Because see, guess what? When you're aligned with the God of unex the unexpected, sometimes you will respond in ways that are unexpected. Sometimes you will respond in ways that don't make sense. Sometimes you'll have peace in the midst of the storm, and sometimes you'll, you'll dance in the midst of mourning. Sometimes you'll have joy in the deepest moments of pain, and you can't understand it, you can't comprehend it, and you can't articulate it. But when you're connected to God Almighty, to his will and his purpose and his plan for your life, then guess what? You're going to respond in ways that are going to leave everybody dumbfounded. They're not going to understand why you're responding like you respond. So what does she do? She had a choice, friends. She could have said, God's forsook me. God's left me. I'm throwing in the towel. She could have called her husband weeping and complaining and groaning and said, we have, to, we have to bury our son. She could have gone to her neighbor and said, you know that man of God promised me this child. And look, God's an evil God. The man of God is evil because guess what? It all came to naught. I've lost the thing that was most important to me in my life. But guess what she did? She went up, she placed that lifeless body on the prophet's bed. She didn't say a word to anybody. She closed the door. She walked out to the field where her husband was. Again, didn't say a word. She asked that a servant get a, a donkey ready to ride because she's going to go see the prophet. And I love, I love her responses here. Again, it defies reason. Her husband said, well, thou go to him today. It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. In other words, it's, it's not a time of feast. It's not a time of festival. It's not a time of religious observance. Why are you going to see the prophet today? This is nonsensical. And what does he, she say? It shall be well. In the Hebrew, she says shalom, peace. 
She's in the midst of her greatest turmoil, her darkest moment, and yet she speaks peace to the situation. She's in the midst of her most heart-wrenching moment, and yet she says, it shall be well. My friends, I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know the heartbreak. I don't know the heartache. I don't know, I don't know what you feel like you are, where you feel like you are in connection with the calling of God, but I'm here to tell you right now that you can say, it shall be well. How do you know it shall be well? You can say it shall be well because you know the great I am. You can say it shall be well because you know the one who has the power to part the waters. You can say it shall be well because you know the one who shed his precious blood for you. You can say it shall be well because the Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear. You can say it shall be well because you know you don't serve a liar. You can say it shall be well because your God is good. He is holy. He is excellent. And he is worthy of all the praise. Whether life goes back down into that body and those lungs fill with arrogance, he is worthy. Whether he carries you through that storm and the baby is restored to life or the baby has breathed its last he is still worthy so it shall be well she spoke peace to an impossible situation she spoke she spoke hope to a hopeless situation she saddled the donkey she told the servant to ride slack not ride as fast as you can don't stop until I tell you tell you to stop now, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me because oftentimes we think of this just being a, a very short journey. We think of it as maybe a ride around the block. I know sometimes we think about Bible stories in, in place, uh, the speeds of cars in connection to, uh, well, you just jump on the interstate. You know, she was by highway. Um, just, jump on the, just jump on the interstate. You can go about 80, 85. It's an emergency. If the police pull you over, you can just tell them it's an emergency, your son is in desperate need of help. But folks, that's not the way it works. It was about 25, between 20 and 30 miles from where she stood to Mount Carmel, where Elisha resided. We're talking about likely an hour-long journey. I can imagine her as she's riding as fast as she can, probably tears still streaming down her face because although she said it shall be well, that does not negate the emotions of the moment. God never expects you to walk through a trial and not feel the weight of that trial. He understands that you have human emotions and he understands that things are difficult. You don't have to walk through as though you're a superhuman. All he asks is that you trust him. He doesn't ask you to pretend like nothing's wrong and to pretend like you can carry the weight of the world on your shoulders by yourself. He just asks you to trust that he has you in the palm of his hand and that your times are in his hands. So she's riding as quick as she can and the man of God looks out and he sees her coming and, and God's hidden what is taking place from him. From, and he can't quite figure out why she's coming and why she's riding at this breakneck speed after him and why she's coming alone. So he sends out Gehazi and he says, ask her, is all well with your family? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with your child? And what does she say? She said, it is well. The second time she says, it is well. Now, is that what she felt in that moment? Absolutely not. Is that what she felt like was probably the best thing to say and what, what she felt like emotionally to say no, but she knew how to speak words of faith. Her, her tears likely betrayed her. The anguish on her face likely betrayed her, but she wanted to put her complete trust in God. Folks, again, I don't know what you're going through today. 
I don't know what valley you're walking through. I don't know what desert God is, is taking you through right now. But I can tell you this, that it's in the desert that you learn where the living water is. It's in the valley where you recognize that there is a good shepherd that can carry you through the valley of the shadow of death. It's when you're faced with that red sea that you finally recognize, oh, it's not just a song. It's not just a Bible story way back in the Pentateuch, but it's a reality that God can part the Red Sea. When you're in the fire, it's not until you feel the fire begin to lick at your flesh that you recognize that there is a God who can stand with you in the fire and can take you through it. Folks, there's something about being in the midst of a test that proves to you the reality of the God that you serve, that reveals to you his character in a way that you would not know it otherwise. You know, we're so great at singing songs and talking about all the names of God. Some of my favorite songs talk about the qualities of God. Talk about, as Brother Turner pointed out with that last song, God being worthy, God being holy, God being excellent. Him with the first song being the great I am being our everlasting father, being our prince of peace. I love, to, I love to, to call out all of these names, but you know what? There's somewhat of an emptiness to it until you've seen him step into your situation. And then suddenly it becomes more than just lip service, but it becomes the cry of a heart that's been transformed by the reality of the revelation of who God is. When you've walked through the trial and the test and you've seen him perform, when you've had a front row seat to what he's capable of doing, it completely transitions who you think God is. It completely transitions who you know him to be. And suddenly you can speak with an authority. You can speak with a boldness. You can sing with an authority and sing with a boldness because you have a thankful heart because you've seen him act on your behalf. So she says again, it is well. She, she, she makes it to the man of God. And it says she fell down at her feet, at his feet. Gehazi began to thrust her away, thinking she was being disrespectful of the prophet. And the prophet said, no, no, no. She's vexed in her spirit, and God hasn't revealed it to me. You see, I can imagine from that dusty road that she traveled, going as fast as she went, crying along the way that perhaps her face was caked with mud. Tear stains tracking through the mud on her face as she's praying still as she's making her way to the man of God. You see... She had faith, but the anguish, the human emotion, the reality of, of her state was still there. She says, then, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Folks, again, God forbid you come be bitter in the process. Do you know how many ministries have been destroyed? How many people's potential has been destroyed? Because when they had that moment, when they did not understand God's purpose, when they did not understand God's plan, when they did not understand the heartbreak along the way, they threw in the towel and became bitter with God. How could God do this? Why would God do this? He must, he must not care. He must not really care about his creation. Folks, you cannot become bitter in the process or you will destroy the potential of who God's created you to be. But if you choose to walk with him in humility, if you choose to walk with him in surrender, if you choose to walk with him in faith believing that it shall be well. However, it turns out it shall be well because God has me in the palm of his hand. Then guess what? You're going to become who God's created you to be because there's no way from here to your calling. There's no way from here to where God has, has, has designed for you to be in terms of ministry without walking the path that is laid before you. That's the only way you're going to get there. That's the only way you're going to get there. So are you going to get there and become what God's called you to 
be or you're going to stop along the way, become bitter with the process and allow your heart to become disconnected from the only one that can bring healing, restoration, and miracles. The Bible says that the prophet sent out Gehazi with his staff and said, if you meet any man along the way, don't salute him. Answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. You see, Elisha wasn't quite sure what to do, but he thought perhaps this was going to be an easy solution. He thought perhaps uh, God had shielded it from him, but, but God was going to resurrect the child, or perhaps a miraculous thing was going to take place because now God had kind of opened his eyes to recognize what was going on. And we see that the mother of child, the child is not satisfied. She said, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. <laughs> you know, there's something else interesting about the trial and the test. When you're going through the trial and the test, you got you to gotta recognize humanity didn't have not have the direct link to God in the Old Testament that we have in the New Testament. They were not Holy Ghost filled in the Old Testament like they were in the New Testament. They oftentimes went to the man of God. They went to the prophet. They went to the prophetess. They went to the one who had the connection. They went to the high priest. Now, that's not to say that God didn't talk to common man, but, but oftentimes God used these individuals as his mouthpiece. And you see, she wasn't satisfied just to have the servant go. She wasn't satisfied just to have Gehazi go. She wanted the one who had given her the promise, the one who God had spoken to, to be the one who came, and she was unwilling to leave his side. See, there's something happens that happens in the midst of the trial. There's something happened when it, when it feels like the call of God has died in your life or the promises of God has ceased to exist. There becomes a desperation that says, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be satisfied until I go to the one who has given me that promise. Folks, God has given you that promise. He has called you to a holy calling. There is not one person sitting here today that God's call is not on your life. There is not one person within the sound of my voice that God does not have a purpose and a plan for your life, that he does not have an expected end for what he desires for you to be. And he's going to equip you every step of the way. He's going to give you everything that you need to make it. Folks, if you're going through the trial and the test, now's not the time. I understand seeking wise counsel, but now's not the time to complain to your friend. Now's not the time to see if you can find counselors who agree with you. Now's not the time to find simply mentors that are going to echo the frustrations in your own heart. Now is time, the time to find the one, to go to the one, to seek the face of the one who spoke the promise into your life. Now, I'm, I understand wise counsel. I understand mentorship. I understand iron that sharpeneth iron friends. But folks, there's a desperation that hits the human heart when you're walking through a trial or a test. And folks, even if you seek wise counsel, you better find a place where you're seeking the face of God Almighty. Because if you're going to make it through the trial, if you're going to make it through the storm, if you're going to watch breath enter back into the lungs of that call, back into the lungs of that promise, you better take it to the promise speaker. You better take it to the one who is able to do it. Because guess what? As wise as Brother Turner is, as wise as Brother Rodenbush is, as wise as Brother Galleon is, guess what? They can't be the one to breathe the life back into it. They can't make the miracle take place. I don't care how many times they proclaim it, they can't make the miracle take place. It's going to take a divine move of the Holy Ghost. It's going to take a divine move of God. It's going to take God breathing something into your heart and into your soul and into your spirit that you could not have access to otherwise. 
we find that Gehazi passed on. He laid the face, his, his staff on the face of the child, and she had another moment where she could have became bitter because the expected result did not happen. I'm sure she expected, even though she was seeking Elisha to go with her, I'm sure she expected when Gehazi would lay that staff upon her, that child's face, that the child would pop up and arise and say, hey, mama, how's it going? But that's not what happened. We find that, that nothing took place and Gehazi returns back. And when Elisha walks into the house, behold, the child is dead laying upon his bed. And we find at this moment, this unexpected blessing that turned into unexpected heartbreak that she responded in such an unexpected way to finally came to the place where God moved in the way that she expected. And we find that breath entered back into the lungs of that child. Friends, again, I don't know what you're going through, but God wants someone to know here today. It hasn't flatlined yet. It may look dead. It may look breathless. It may turn white. It may not look like it. There's any breath left in the lungs or any hope. There may not be a beat of the heart, no matter how closely you listen, no matter how much you place your hand on the chest and try to find it. But I'm here to tell you, it's not dead. It's not gone. God's promises are still true. God is still here for you. And God is going to come through on your behalf. You see, God works in the unexpected. God brings about his expected end through the unexpected paths that he takes us on. The unexpected Problems and heartaches, trials and tests, the mountains and valleys, the victories and the losses. He works through everything. He works through everything to perfect who you are, to perfect your relationship with him. And guess what? There's something different. Don't get me wrong. I don't think God takes you through a trial just to give you a testimony. That's not what I'm saying. But trials are common to humanity. And there's something different when you're on the other side and you can preach, you can speak, you can sing with that testimony burning deep in your heart. Understanding that God was there through the trial and test. He was there in my heartache. He was there in my victory. He was there in my blessing when I held that infant in my arms. And he was there when that infant, that child breathed his last. He was there when... His lungs reinflated with air, and he will never leave, and he will never forsake. See, there's somebody here that needs to say, and it, say, and it shall be well on their situation. You may not understand how it's going to happen. You may not be able to logically comprehend how you're going to see sunlight on the other side. You may not be able to logically comprehend how God is going to speak peace to the storm. But you need to be able to say, it shall be well. Why? Because I know my Redeemer lives. It shall be well because I know he's never going to leave and he's never going to forsake. It shall be well because I trust him even when I don't understand, even when I can't comprehend. It shall be well. You need to speak and it shall be well to your situation. And you see the interesting thing about this story, and I, I'm hastening to a close, but the interesting thing about this story is I, I preached different messages on this passage before, and I've heard many messages preached on this passage, and I don't know that I've ever taken it to the end of the story, taken it to this end, to the miracle. But you see, she reappears in chapter 8. We talk about the miraculous healing of the, the child, but she reappears in chapter 8. The Bible says in chapter 8, verse 1, Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go thou in thine household. And sojourn, sojourn Wherever thou canst sojourn, for the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the end of seven years in that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for the house and for her land. 
See, there's no mention of her husband here. Her husband, we know in chapter 4, was already elderly. had probably passed on. We know that the child probably was still maybe a young teen. At this point, she as a woman in that society probably didn't have a right to come back and claim the land that was rightfully hers. And we find her in desperate strait once again, faced with heartache once again, because she comes back to return to her place, to her beautiful house. We know she was a woman of means. She goes back to return to the fields where her son can harvest and continue, to the inheritance, the heritage that should be her son's, and finds it all laid waste. She finds it all taken from her hands. There's nothing left. Even the table that she had set bread and, and meat before the prophet at is no longer in her possession. She doesn't know what she's going to do. I can imagine her returning and finally thinking life is going to resume and life is going to get back to normal just to find everything wrenched from her hands once again. But you know, there's an interesting thing that happens in this story. Because if we go on and read what the Bible has to say, it says that the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And it came to pass as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son who Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, now watch this, restore all that was hers and all the fruit of the field since the day that she left the land even until now. Folks, the heartache of today, the pain of the moment, the trial that you're going through presently may be the very thing that allows for restoration later. May be the very thing that sets up the scene for God to do the miraculous and come through just one more time. Because you see, God doesn't see things in the moment. I've said it before and I'll say it till the day I die. We have this sense of fairness that we try to apply to every situation in life. And we try to determine what is fair and whether or not God is reacting fairly. According to our human perception. And the way that we logically lay out things. The way that we weigh the pros and cons of a situation. And what we feel like would be the best way for him to respond. Because we want him to respond in the expected way. But he's the God of the unexpected. He uses the unexpected in order to bring about his expected end because God never promised he'd be fair, but he will always be a God of justice. So he is, we're finite in our understanding, but he is infinite. He knows the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, he was able to look through the annals of time and he knew when that child died that it would set up the scene. How, what a coincidence. How, how ironic that she just happens to be there when Gehazi is, is touting all of the miracles that Elisha had done. Folks, that is orchestrated by God Almighty. Why don't you go ahead and stand? Don't despise the moment. Don't despise the trial and the test that you're in right now. Don't despise what you feel like you're going through. And don't allow Satan to pronounce a death sentence on the call of God on your life or on any promise that he has given you. If he has given you a promise, he will come through. If he has given you a calling, if you walk with him, he will align things so that you can work, walk perfectly according to that call. He will direct your footsteps. He'll sometimes direct them in ways that you don't understand. He'll sometimes take you on a path that makes it feel like you're... You're perhaps a, a pinball in a pinball machine shooting this direction and that. 
but I promise you, he will get you to a destination that's better than anything you could imagine. I know myself having walked through some trials and tests, there are times that I cried out to God and said, God, can we just get back to where we were a month ago? Can we just get back to where we were a year ago? I just want to be where we were. And, and I remember in that moment, God speaking something deeply into my spirit and saying, you know what? That's not my plan because I'm gonna take you somewhere better than where you were a month ago. I'm gonna create something that's more magnificent than what you were a year ago. So just wait with me in the process. Just speak and it shall be well. Just recognize that I am with you. You know, Brother Carson on Sunday had you, had you, you know, quoted all of those verses and had you talk, talked a little bit about life verses and the, the verses that we use sometimes to speak faith into our life. Folks, you may be in a moment where you don't know how to speak faith because you don't understand you can't comprehend how it's all going to come together you've looked at it from every angle humanly possible and you don't understand how god is going to part the waters or how god's going to calm the storm or god is going to orchestrate things but i promise you if you find a point of faith it doesn't have to be some mountain moving prayer but if you can look back at the words of scripture and begin to call on the God who has done the miraculous in the past. If you begin to call on the God and you say, God, I don't understand how you're going to do it. But guess what? I know you can because your word has promised you can. And this, this book is a book of promises. This book is a, a book of revelation that tells us who God is and tells us what his character is and tells us that guess what? He loves you and he's never going to let you down. He loves you, and when he's called you, he's going to keep leading you. And when he's given you a promise, he's going to come through. Come on, I think it would be okay if we just talked to the Lord for a few minutes here this morning. If you have something that you've been going through, these altars are open. It's a time for you to come to God. It's a time for you to have a moment like this woman did when she said, nothing, no one and nothing is going to do except the promise speaker. I have to talk to the one who gave me that blessing, who gave me that promise, and I need to speak it shall be well. Folks, don't give up on the promises of God. Don't give up on what God is trying to do in your life. Don't despise the process because he is ever present. He is there and he's going to move on your behalf. He's going to do exactly what he needs to do you to do to shape you and to mold you in his image. Come on, IBC. I don't know who I'm speaking to here today, but I know God has placed this message in my heart. And I know there's someone who needs to recognize that they're at a point of desperation. And it's going to take some time alone with the King of Kings saying it shall be well. I don't understand God and I don't know and I don't I can't comprehend how you're going to come through. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to speak and it shall be well. I'm going to believe that life is going to come back into this, these lungs back into this promise, back into this calling. Yes, IBC, hallelujah. That's right, cry out to him right now. This is a moment in time where you can speak to the one who put that promise in your heart, when you can speak to the one who has called you with a holy calling. This is a moment to get in contact with the one who is the great I am, IBC.